0: Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Well, I am obviously not Pastor Justin, but I just want to tell you a little about why he's here. Uh, we believe at our church that uh, young people matter to God and that the future is bright. And we're going to invest in those kids, in those youth. And this is someone that we wanted to bring in this weekend to speak directly into the hearts of our young people, our students. And he's incredibly gifted. And one of the ways I know that is because I went to college with Justin. And I know he's got stories about me, but I have one about him that I feel is going to help you understand why he's so good at relating to youth because he thinks like they do. Uh, I was woken up one night in my dorm room. Uh, somebody's banging on our door. We come out. I was, I was actually rooming with the RA. So this is the person you bang on their door in the middle of the night when someone's in trouble. Door opens, and they're like, hey, you gotta come uh, to Justin's room. He needs some help. And so we just ran in there. It's like, we don't know what's going on. And we get in there, and uh, what we notice right away in the bathroom is that the shower door, which is a walk-in shower, it's like this It's just a skinny little walk-in shower, and the door just latches, just a little latch, but it is bowed like this, like a five-foot shower wall uh, door just bowed, and there's his roommate just bracing up against it because someone had decided to fill their entire walk-in shower with water and turn it into a jacuzzi. And there is Justin in his swim shorts up to here in a standing shower with water swimming around. He had put a tarp in to seal it off the drain. And he's in there and he's all excited about it. But something was going wrong the room was taking on water. So so we're trying to figure out what to do. And Justin's like, I got to I got to release the water. So he swims. to the bottom of the shower, and tears open the plastic, try to get the water to go in the drain. One problem is, not only did the water start flooding down the drain, but so did all the plastic. Cover, he's he's down there, and we don't, like, I think about a minute went by. And we're like, hey, he's still down there. (laughs) And we didn't know what else to do, so what do we do? Open the door. It was like the movie Titanic, when the water just through the door and this dead fish, Justin, just flopping out. We had some explaining to do. So ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to my dear friend and pastor and student, Pastor <laughs> Justin.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Uh, You know, you could hear that story and think it speaks to my ignorance, but it really speaks to my sense of commitment, because I was in there for six hours. They brought me food, I had some Taco Bell. You know, I was in college, that's what we ate, and so by the end there was lettuce floating around the top and things like that, and the main problem was when I went to the drain to, to solve the problem, uh, I had to bite the plastic, there was a little, it was so tight to the drain, there was a little wrinkle that I could get my teeth on, and when I did and ripped it open, it sucked my face to the ground. And so I was just stuck. So in all of the kicking, my feet up at the top, I knocked the plastic off, it covered me. I thought that was the end, but I was, you know, uh, I was studying theology in college, so I knew where I was headed. I was at peace with that, whatever. Um, Getting ready for today, I thought, oh, good. This is my chance to really embarrass Brian and tell some of the most embarrassing stories I could think of. People would love that. So I start going through the Rolodex of embarrassing stories in my head, and I quickly realized that the embarrassing parts were all me. You see, there's two types of people in the world. There's the ones who instigate dumb ideas, and there's the ones who execute dumb ideas. And that man is an instigator. So, I'm just gonna skip all that for now. Uh, my name is Justin. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am so glad to be back in the Midwest. I'm I'm from Ohio originally. Let me tell you some of the misery I've been in down in the South. Okay, when I grew up. It was Pepsi everything, you know? We called it Pop. We enjoyed Pepsi. I moved down to the land of Coke. You know, Atlanta is where Coke is based out of. And so when I get down there, I'm sitting at a restaurant for the first time with some other pastor staff, you know, people who are shepherding people, people who love the Lord, who spend their time with God. And I ordered a Pepsi, and it all changed. I watched the demeanor change. I watched the insult in people's face. What'd you just order? I'm like, uh, a pop? What's a pop? What are you going to do with it? I'm like, a, a Pepsi. And so I quickly realized I'm not allowed to have Pepsi. So for the past 12, 13 years, I've been drinking Coca-Cola, all right? So it's been good to get back to the land of Pepsi. Uh, some other stuff down there, the SEC football world, uh, they're crazy, y'all. I li- I'm from Big Ten worlds where we all love one another, and there's good, friendly competition down there with the Georgia Bulldogs. You show up at a game, and they're like, They're barking at me. I'm like, are y'all gonna bite me? Because I'll just go home. I don't need this. I don't need to be here. So it's good to be back in the Midwest. I grew up hunting outside in the cold and the corn. So as I've been driving around some of y'all's cornfields, except it ain't been cold, thank you for that. I don't know who's to thank for the weather this weekend, but I'm really, really grateful for it because it was not too much culture shock for me. But uh, I grew up in a big family. I had lots of brothers and sisters. We were homeschooled, which was a lot of fun. I was captain of the football team. I was homecoming king. It was tough to find a date, but you know, On test days when we saw other kids, I managed to figure that out. Uh, But I I loved growing up. My dad was a pastor. He was a pastor my entire life. So I always got to see the benefits and the struggle of ministry. And I told God at an early age, I don't want to be a pastor at all. And God had other plans for my life. It was through a lot of prayer and times that we'll talk about later today uh, that I felt like God put the call of ministry on my life. So I pursued that. It led me to Indiana Wesleyan where I met Brian. We had lots of really spiritual moments like flooding dorm rooms and things like that. A lot of water in that dorm room. Uh, but I'm glad to be here. And so for the past uh, 15 years, really, I've been in full-time ministry. I've been pursuing what God has called me to do. It led me to Atlanta, Georgia, eventually, where I became on staff at a church called North Point. Uh, it's a really phenomenal place where I've had the opportunity to pastor to a lot of high school students over the years. And it gives me the opportunity to come to great places like this. Now, the first thing I like to do whenever I get with a group of people in a church environment like this, it's uh, to... Prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists. I feel like there's some of you here who may be skeptical. Some of you have been a Christian a long time, and you've forgotten the reality. So what I'm going to do really quickly is prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God truly does exist. You see, 12 years ago, I looked like this. All right? (laughs) Not too bad, I know, you know, but I've got less hair now. That's uh, Yeah, anyway. And uh, not only did I look like this, but I drove this. Okay? This is a combination that good parents tell their kids to stay away from. All right? If you see this man driving this van, walk the other way. But here's the thing. While I looked like that and I drove this 1998 Dodge Grand Caravan, I managed to meet and start dating this girl. So, if this guy in that van can get that girl, the only answer is God exists. (laughs) Thanks so much. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. (laughs) I'm just serious. But anyway, I have uh, two great kids down in Atlanta. I've got one wife, because that's all I can handle. But um, we've got a great life down there. It's a lot of fun. I'm excited to be here. They all say hello from Atlanta this morning. But I was thinking about today uh, and, and really excited to get to kick off this new series all about prayer. Prayer has been something that's been uh, such a part of my story and my faith development uh, that I'm, I'm really excited to get back to really studying what does the Word of God say about prayer? What is our response to prayer supposed to be? And, and where do we start this conversation? You see, through the next several weeks, we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer, which a, a lot of you know, a lot of you have heard, You know, if you've played sports, it's the thing that you you get in the end zone and say together as a team, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name." And we talk through the the Lord's prayer. But really, if we take a second and we dissect the Lord's prayer and we look at the individual parts, which we're going to do, we realize that the implications and the impact of prayer may be greater than the way we're utilizing it in our own life. You see, over my life, my mom was a prayer warrior, so she taught me day in and day out the power and the impact of prayer, and so I felt like I had a profound understanding of prayer until I. I got to right before college, and God drastically shifted the way that I thought about prayer. But before I get to that story, I wanna back uh, up a little bit, maybe a lot farther. I wanna take you all the way back to the beginning. In the garden, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they have this community with God, and prayer is easy because they're just talking to God, and that makes it really simple. I felt like they were kind of cheating, but we all know what happened in the garden. God created the world, this perfect sphere of perfection, it's the way that he wanted it, and, and they were in community with God, and they were allowed to have anything they wanted in the garden, and God said, it's all yours except for the tree in the middle. Uh, if you would just not eat from that tree, pretty easy enough, you know? There's all these other trees and things to eat from. Well, it's, a, it's a piece of cake. And then one day, the serpent, the the devil, the enemy, whatever you feel comfortable calling him, shows up to Eve. And the enemy knew something about Eve that maybe Eve didn't know about herself. He knew that Eve was created with profound curiosity, that human beings are created with profound curiosity, a curiosity that causes us to continue to wonder and worry and, 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 and perpetuate questions inside our head. And he also knew that curiosity will partner to one of two things. Curiosity will partner with pride, or curiosity will partner with humility. And when curiosity partners with pride, its destination is worry. And when curiosity partners with humility, its destination is wonder. And so the enemy comes to Eve, and he appeals to her pride and saying, Did God really say, did God really say don't eat from this tree? I mean, come on. He just doesn't want you to be like him. And I imagine in that moment, Eve's curiosity begins to partner with pride and she thinks, wait a minute, yes, I can be as good as God. I can have the knowledge that God has. Who is he to say that I'm not supposed to? And what does she do? She eats from the tree and she gives it to her husband and he eats. And the Bible says that their eyes were open, and they see their nakedness. And I imagine they feel insecure because what are all of these feelings coming in for the first time? Now their curiosity about why am I naked and what am I feeling, it will turn them to worry. And they did something that we would never do when we're feeling insecure, they put clothes on. And I think it's interesting that the, the, the attention to detail here in the Bible, that something that they do to deal with insecurity is they design some clothes. They get the fig leaves and things like that. And I fast forward and I think of all the high school students I met who are making sure they're wearing the latest designer stuff because they don't want to feel insecure and they fall into the comparison trap time in and time out. Curiosity partnered with pride and led them to worry. And if we fast forward through the Bible, we see that God's sphere of perfection gets shattered when sin enters into the world. And we watch the effects of it for years and years, generations, and kingdoms fall, and families fall apart, and people are at each other's throat, and they're fighting, and they're going back and forth. Curiosity is a really, really powerful thing. Asking the question what can I have? What do I deserve? Where am I going? Who can stop me? Who's against me? And we read story after story in scripture of all of the kings and all of the people in the world who are partnering their curiosity with pride and they're causing disaster all around them. You see, I've always been a very curious person. I wonder how things work. I always wonder, you know, um, uh, how how things are put together. And so when I was a kid, I used to take my toys apart and things like that. And then I remember one specific day, the power of curiosity, when my brother and I, um, my dad used to refill rifle rounds. And so he had uh, gunpowder around the house. And we just had this curious moment of what would happen... If we took the gunpowder, and we put it in an old metal CO2 cartridge, and we put a wick inside, and we lit it. Okay, the curiosity burned inside of us. We wanted to know. And so I remember sitting in the basement with him and the curiosity came too much. So we kind of drilled out the center of the CO2 cartridge so we could funnel all of the black powder in there and we packed it down and we stuck a wick in and we got like, we were like mad scientists even at an early age because we like put the wax around it from a candle and we were ready to go. And then there was the debate of who was gonna light said CO2 cartridge. And so we went back and forth. He was older than me, so I, I was the one who got the honor of lighting uh, said pipe bomb. And so we tried to decide, okay, where are we gonna put it? Because if it explodes, we don't want anybody to know about it. But if it, in if the chance it doesn't explode, we wanna be able to know if the wick is all burned up, so we're gonna need to be able to see it. So we thought about it for a while. We were homeschooled, so we were sharp. And so... Uh, We eventually came to the conclusion that we would walk down the street to our neighbor's house and they had a Rubbermaid mailbox. You know, the big, huge Rubbermaid mailboxes? And we thought maybe the best thing to do is to put it in the mailbox, but just leave the flap open Because what will happen is, see my mom taught us science, what will happen is it will just explode and the mailbox will contain all the shrapnel. We'll be able to look through the door and we'll be able to tell what's going on beyond a shadow of a doubt. So curiosity, you know, powerful thing. So we walk down to the neighbor's house, we open up the Rubbermaid mailbox, we're looking around, it's like, you know, federal offense, but whatever. And so we put the CO2 cartridge in the mailbox, And now I'm looking at this thing while I have my little lighter thinking, this wick's not long enough. You know? I mean, God made me small with a big mouth, but he made me really fast so I didn't die. Okay? But I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be fast enough to get away from this explosive device that we have just put in this mailbox. But I'm going to try it anyway. So I light it. And I take off, I'm running back to the bushes where my brother is, and then all of a sudden I hear boom, and something hits me in the back of the head so hard. Luckily does it doesn't knock me out, I'm just sitting there dazed in the middle of the road thinking, what just happened? Evidently, my mom's science lesson was wrong because that made a big boom. And it exploded their mailbox, the mail was flying in the air, and the door, the little door latch of the Rubbermaid mailbox flew like a Frisbee and hit me in the back of the head. I fell down, we're looking at this mushroomed mess, thinking, what? What are we gonna do? We did the right thing, we ran home and hid. But curiosity (laughs) is a dangerous thing, it's powerful. It will pull us to do things that we never thought we would do before. And so I'm just curious as I'm starting today, how are you doing I was thinking about this church and these people. I'm a a great friend of this church and of Brian. I have loved the time I've spent here. Your high school, middle school students. I I, I don't say this everywhere I go because it's not true everywhere I go, but they are some of the best students that I've ever had the privilege of speaking to. And so I know something is going right in this church with the leadership of this church, with the parents who are sitting in this room representing those students. I know something's going right, but as I was on the plane even, and just talking to God in my quiet moments sitting between these two massive guys, I'm just sitting there thinking, God, I just wonder, I wonder how this church is doing really. Like, not the church as a whole, but the individuals who come and sit in the seats every single Sunday. The individuals who come and they sit and they they read the words on the screen during the songs. The individuals who come and hear the messages. The individuals who give their time to serve. The same individuals who have to leave this building and go back to a home where maybe nobody knows what's going on. I wanted to ask the question, and I wanted you to get thinking about that question. How are you doing, really? Do you feel like you're thinking about the future, you're thinking about your finances, you're thinking about your family, you're thinking about your health, you're thinking about your loved ones, you're thinking about your career with a sense of wonder? Oh, I wonder what's gonna happen next? Or with a sense of worry? thinking, man, what is gonna happen next? You see, I like to illustrate the difference between wonder and worry this way. Wonder is an eight-year-old before Christmas asking the question, what is Santa going to bring me? Worry is a 48-year-old, maybe who just lost their job leading up to Christmas thinking, what is Santa going to bring them? So when you think about your life and you ask the question, how are you doing, are you filled with wonder or worry? And I want you to identify that this morning because as we walk through the first part of the Lord's Prayer, it is imperative that you are honest with yourself in identifying that because prayer takes self-honesty. If we're not able to bring honesty of self into the presence of God, then really what we're doing is having a fake conversation. I've done tons of marital counseling in my life, and the number one thing, the place I start every single counseling session, because these two relational people are having issue, is in their conversation, in their communication ability. And oftentimes what I'll find is one of the two people are not being honest with themselves. And the problem, you know this if you're married, the problem is the spouse is being really honest with the other person about who they really are. And I spend my time helping people understand and be honest with who they really are and what they're really about and what they're really doing. So I'm challenging you in this moment. I know I'm just some guest from Atlanta getting in your business, asking the hard questions, but how are you doing really? Have you been wondering, or maybe have you been worrying Because ever since that day in the garden, people's curiosity has taken them the path of worry and you know the story, kind of the, the overall narrative of the Bible. God comes to Moses, and then this Levitical law is established where people, um, you know, have this checklist of things that they do to be in right standing with God, and then people couldn't really approach God on their own. They would go to the priest, and the priest would go in on their behalf, and he would make a sacrifice to atone for their sins. So there really was this distance between people and God. You see, in the garden, there was connection directly between God and man, but after that, there was coexistence between God and man. Once they were out of the garden and God was out of sight, now people just coexisted with God in hopes that whatever the priest was doing on their behalf was good enough to cover them. So my second question is right now, do you feel like you are connected to God or do you feel like you are just coexisting with God? Do you feel like your curiosity has led you the way of the wanderer and connected you to God? Or has your curiosity led you in the way of the worrier and just allowed you to coexist with God? It's one thing to believe that God exists, it's another thing entirely to be connected to him. So we fast forward a little bit more and now we're getting to the point of today. We find Jesus alive and well teaching people in uh, in sermons on mountains and things like that and he's going through all of these things that he's teaching. And finally, Jesus gets to prayer. You see, prayer for these people would have looked different before Jesus than it did when Jesus showed up and eventually when Jesus died and resurrected um, from the grave. Prayer is about to take a dramatic and drastic shift in people's lives and their understanding of what prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is about to take such a shift that it's really going to offend some people and it's really gonna turn some people off. This is one of those points that Jesus would have made that would have made the officials who are experts in law say, hey, this guy has got to go because these people are dependent on us to go in and atone for their sin. Jesus, he can't be out here spreading this anybody-can-do-it language or verbiage around so that people think that they can have their own connection with God outside of the law and what we have established. And so the first thing Jesus does in Matthew chapter 6 is he tells them two ways that we're not supposed to pray. I think that Jesus knew the condition of the people around and the amount of worry that they carried. Maybe like today, he would look at the room and say, man, this room is filled with people who worry about their future and they don't wonder about their future. So what he does is he calls out two specific ways that people often show their cards when they're feeling self-conscious or worried. He says this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. You see, Jesus knew that we will take external um, um, precautions and go to external lengths to overcome our worry. And he's saying one of the ways that people would do this is they would make sure they're seen. I remember when I was in high school and I would come to the conferences and I wanted to date the prettiest girl in the youth group, you know, the it girl who when she walked out of her parents' car, her hair was in slow motion and she didn't really touch the ground, you know, and I thought this is the girl that I'm gonna date. We're gonna get engaged. We're gonna get married, buy a house and get a dog if she's not allergic, I'll ask later. And I remember that feeling, and so I would be the one who would stand in the synagogues. I was the loudest prayer. God in heaven, how, how art thee today? She watching? She see me? Yeah, I'm spiritual, you know? And Jesus is saying people are making a big scene. They wanna be seen because they wanna overcome this sense of insecurity that they have, saying, you know what, I'm not really connected to God. I'm coexisting, but I wanna fool everybody else, so maybe I can fool myself. He's saying they wanna be seen. The second thing, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. He's saying the second thing that they do is they speak up, they say loud, crafty prayers that are elaborate, full of words because they wanna be seen and they wanna be heard. I don't know about you, but there's been so many times in my life where if I'm honest, I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be heard. I've been a Christian for a long, 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 long time, But the opinions of people sometimes have outweighed the truth of God in my life. There have been times I've wanted to be seen and I've wanted to be heard. And Jesus is saying, hey, the way that you go from coexistence to connection with your heavenly Father is not by making earthly attempts to be seen and heard and striving for success and striving to achieve and striving to be at the top. No, it's something different. And what he offers is a very counterintuitive approach to prayer. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now, this is something that they would have just turn to each other, flabbergasted at what Jesus has just said. And we're gonna talk about that word father in a second, but the idea that he is introducing here is so counterintuitive and so anti-cultural at the time of this religion that people would have gone, what in the world is he talking about? But before we get to that, I I wanna talk about what Jesus says. He says, hey, when you pray, get away from everyone else, go in your room, close the door, and pray to your heavenly Father. He's saying, let's be intentional about our prayer. Let's make prayer about God. Let's not make prayer about them. Beyond that, let's not make prayer solely about our insecurity and our worry, but let's begin to right-size prayer and make it about our wonder. So, to kick this series off and going through the Lord's Prayer, I'm gonna go through the, the first verse of the Lord's Prayer, it says this in Matthew 6, 9. This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus is standing before all of these people, teaching them how to pray. And he says, hey, I'm gonna make it really simple for you. In fact, I'm gonna give you the words on how you should pray. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so I'm literally gonna break this down and pick out the four main words in this verse. We're gonna talk through those four main words really quickly, and then I'm gonna give you some homework and fly back to Atlanta and hope that you work on it, all right? So let's talk about the first word I wanna talk about. Jesus starts by saying, our. I love that he starts this way. Because religion and prayer and this Christian thing can become so siloed, can't it? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt, had somebody say to you, hey, I'm praying for you? Have you ever said, somebody said, oh, you know what, I'll be praying for you. And you walk away and you don't think much about it. But then, have you ever had somebody pray for you? There's a big difference in the way that that feels. When somebody says, I'll be praying for you, and somebody stops and they pray for you. You can feel the rightness in the community of that. There's this communal idea that Jesus is saying that we are a body of believers. We are one body, all brought together to honor God. And so he's saying our in the sense of like, we are all in this together. We are here to carry each other's burdens. We are here to lift each other up. We are here to pray this prayer on each other's behalf. We are here in solidarity with one another. And at this time, it was so different for them that they're now thinking, wait a second, this religion thing being a a togetherness idea and the fact that we have access to God the same as those who would go into the temple on our behalf had access to God, that doesn't make sense because typically the way that we would do it is there were people who got to go talk to God and then there were those of us who depended on those people, but now you're saying that we all have access. and In the American church, what we try to do is we say, well, the pastor's on staff and the guy that gets on stage, they have a special connection connection to God. But those of us who work as a CPA and just come to the 830 service, we don't really have the same connection to God that they have. And Jesus is saying, actually, because of what I'm about to do, you all have access to the Father. You all have access <clears throat> to relationship with him. Profound idea. The next word he says is father. Father. If there's one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, if there's one thing I, could, I wish I could get students to understand in 2022, it's that they have a good and perfect, loving, heavenly Father. But just for a second, you know, one of the biggest issues I run into is that when I tell students that, they don't have a good, earthly Father. And so for them to be able to wrap their head around this idea that there is a heavenly father that loves them, the only thing they have to compare it to is their earthly father who hasn't. And it turns into a really difficult conversation and something difficult for them to wrestle to. And I'm not ignorant. I know that there are people in this room who didn't have a good earthly father. And so the idea of God being a good heavenly father is hard for you to understand because you've never seen it. Jesus is introducing the idea that God is not just a wrathful being up in the sky waiting to judge us when we mess up and we don't perfectly keep the law, but instead, he is a heavenly father. And immediately, I bet people put that into their own context. I bet the fathers began to think about their kids and connected the dots, wait a minute, God loves me the way that I love my kids? Like, that is a profound love A love that's not based on what they do for me. A love that's not based on action or works. That is a love that I extend to them no matter what the situation. And I bet the people who were there who didn't have kids thought about their own dad and thought, wait a second, I love my dad. I would do anything for my dad, you know? As a young boy, there was nothing I wanted to do more than make my dad Proud, And the moments he communicated that pride to me, it was like heaven and earth aligned and everything lined up and it was perfect. Jesus is introducing a brand new idea to them in his culture, but also for us today. Because I don't know about you, but I don't always pray like I'm praying to my father. You see, growing up, maybe you were the same way. I knew when to go ask mom for something and I knew when to go ask dad for something. If I wanted somebody to spend the night, I asked dad, because he didn't care. He didn't know what was going on in the house, you know. He was at work, whatever. But if I wanted to go spend the night somewhere, I would ask mom, because dad didn't want to drive me to my friend's house, and mom is like, I'm the one that have to clean up after you, go ahead and go. In the same way, Jesus is making the distinction and he's putting a name and a title and a person to this nebulous God in the sky that people hadn't been able to see or wrap their head around, and he's putting the name Father to him. Something that people would've had context for. Something that we have context for. You know, as we get older and our dependency on our fathers decrease, we kind of lose sight of this a little bit. And I always try to push people back to when you depended on your dad. And thinking about the times that he was there for you and he was a superhero and he would do anything for you and you thought my dad is the strongest, best guy in the world. My daughter recently said, dad, you're amazing but you're not as strong as Addy's dad. And I was like, what? Get him over here. Right now, have him meet me in the front yard, you know? I'm gonna bring a weapon because he is a big guy. But (laughs) Jesus is completely rewiring the way that we think about Prayer by giving the name Father to a nebulous God who is sometimes hard to understand. The next word we go, our Father who art in heaven. And I love that he makes this distinction here because quickly when I read this and when I think about what they would've understood, I see the dichotomy that he's creating. See, Father is such a a, a family idea, such a personal, such a close idea. And heaven is typically such a far-off, mysterious place that Jesus is combining the connection and the personality with the mystery and creating who God really is. Saying God is your Father who loves you and he's close and he's near and you can be connected. But also saying he is the creator of the cosmos. He is the one who set all of this in being. He is the one who reigns. And because of that, <clears throat> we get this weird word that everybody, when they say the Lord's Prayer, kind of hums through because we're not sure how to pronounce it, and it's like, Halloween. you know, I do it, you do it, we all do it, hallowed, and I love that he chose this word because he's saying this personal, this creator, this mystical, yet this relational God is to be honored, and we are to bring glory to God. In our prayers, we are to be glorifying God. Have you ever uh, brought glory to something? You know, maybe maybe for you you got uh, the iPhone for the first time? and you were the only one in your friend circle who had the iPhone, and so you were like kinda snobby about it, but what you did was you brought glory to the iPhone by saying, hey listen, look at this, look at these apps, they call them apps, applications. Look what I can do, I can take a picture of you and it's in higher resolution than your camcorder, whatever we had at the time. You brought glory to the iPhone by proclaiming how great it was, how easy it made your life. This thing has made my life so much better. I have email right here in my iPhone. Calls are super clear. I could text people and it makes a little noise. I just love it. It annoys people in the movies, but I keep doing it. You know, you brought glory to the iPhone. In the same way, hallowed be your name, we are to bring glory to the name of God. How do we do that? By allowing our prayer life to transition our curiosity. From worry to wonder. You see, people of worry, they look at God and tell him how big their problems are. But people of wonder, they look at their problems and tell them how big their God is. And Jesus lays out in this, in this verse how we should pray. And he's challenging us to move away from prayers of obligation, We've all had it. I don't even need to to say by show of hands. I know it's all of us. We have all felt obligated to pray. Maybe it's at dinner. Everybody kind of looks at each other, who's gonna pray, you know, and you pick one of the kids because they can get away with the God is great, God is good, thank you for this food today, amen, you know, and you don't feel like God's gonna be mad at them because they're a child. He says a lot about children in the Bible, so hey, don't throw shade at me, Jesus. But we all feel at times obligation to pray. Maybe the obligation is we don't have any other place to go. We don't have any other option. We've gotta punt. We've gotta throw the Hail Mary. And so we're gonna throw up that prayer in the fourth quarter because we've got nothing left. Maybe we feel obligated to pray because we're in a church setting or in an environment where somebody tells you bad news and you feel like you gotta pray. Maybe you feel obligated to pray because we're supposed to have quiet time and we're supposed to grow in our faith and the thing that we tell you week in and week out from stage is that you need to be having your quiet time, you need to develop. And so you wake up in the morning with prayers of obligation. And it feels dull and it feels relationless and it feels hard. And if you've ever been in a relationship where you feel obligated to communicate, it becomes something you don't wanna be a part of. And it becomes obvious to both parties that it's an obligation. I came this morning to challenge this church to move beyond prayers of obligation. I challenge this morning this church to move beyond the prayers that maybe we've been praying um, out of worry and move into a world of wonder. I'm challenging this church to move from prayers of obligation to prayers of this. I'm gonna walk through the Lord's prayer. Adoration. Submission, supplication, justification, and protection. As we walk through the Lord's Prayer, you are going to see that Jesus perfectly crafted a prayer that covers all aspects of our life. Jesus perfectly crafted a prayer that's gonna allow us to move from worry to wonder. You know, the Bible says in Philippians that we shouldn't worry about anything, but we should pray about everything, making a distinct dichotomy between the two, saying, you know what the opposite of worry is? is true, authentic prayer. And I'm gonna challenge this church to move from prayers of obligation this morning to prayers of adoration. Move from prayers of obligation of being, uh, like I feel like I have to pray, to prayer, joyful prayers of adoration, saying, God, you are the one who created me, you freed me, you saved me, you hold it all in your hands, everything that I could worry about. God, you, can, you have the power to shift me to wonder, maybe not worry about what's gonna happen to my job, but wonder what you're doing and how you're working. God, circumstances in my life, they bow to you because you create and sustain it all. But prayers of adoration are impossible unless you can answer this question, Who are you praying to? Who are you praying to? This is your homework, okay? The next time you pray, I want you to enter in your time of prayer by defining who God is. And maybe for some of you, you make a note on your phone, you write it down somewhere, you kind of have it in the back of your mind, but I want you to start your prayers for the next, let's go for the next week. I want you to start your prayers by defining who you are praying to in hopes that it will move you from prayers of obligation to prayers of adoration. And let me give you some cheat sheet work here. You are praying to a heavenly Father who loves you. You are praying to a heavenly Father who created the entire world and holds it all in his hands. You are praying to a heavenly Father who has the power to bring dead people back to life. You are praying to a heavenly Father who has freed you from a life of sin and shame. And I want you in your prayers, I want you to start there in defining who you're praying to, and I want you to let that sink in just for a second. And then I want you to pray out of adoration and thanksgiving to a God who loves you. I believe that the next chapter of this church requires people who will get out of the life of obligated prayer and into a life of authentic prayer where they're allowing God to search them and they're being honest with themselves about who they are and where they are and they're allowing God to begin to change them from a life of worry to a life of wonder. Because this church has a lot to wonder about. Where God is gonna lead you what you're gonna do next, and how you're gonna impact the community around you. I've been watching from afar, and I love what I see here. I love that there is a church here in Appleton, Wisconsin, of people who are on board and on mission with the same things as God's heart. And I would just pray that over the next couple weeks, Maybe some of you for the last 30 years you've prayed for the same way. The last 10 years you've prayed for the same way. You've never examined it and you've never thought about it. I would just pray and I'm begging God from Atlanta, Georgia that you would take this, this series so seriously to begin to examine and investigate your prayer life and maybe step outside your comfort zone in attempting to be honest with God. Step outside of your comfort zone in the things you're willing to discuss with your heavenly Father. If you would stand, I would love to end today by praying for you. Heavenly Father, God, I recognize the vast difference um, in people in this room this morning. People who worry about finances or relationships or their future or their health. God, we would never be able to um, fully grasp the, the differences in this room, but God, here's what I know. You have the power to heal and to free, and to save and to protect and to redeem and restore all of it. And so God, I pray for the people standing here that they would be honest with themselves and that they would evaluate and examine their prayer life and God, that you would move them into a life of prayer that could move mountains in their lives and the lives around them. I pray for Pastor Brian and the leadership of this church that they would go first and they would show these people the power of prayer in their community. We love you so much. Give us a great day. Go Packers. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks.